Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. On today's episode, I'm joined here with my guest, Caitlin. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for submitting your story. I am, yeah, really, really expectant for this episode uh, to air and just the impact that I know that it's going to have on our listeners. Um, Yeah, so I'm super grateful that you are joining me today. Thank you. I'm really honored to be a part of this. Like, I love what you are building and I just feel grateful to be a part of it. Mm, I'm excited, excited to be able to finally talk to you and, and really get to hear your story. So yeah. So my name is Caitlin. I am 28 years old and we met when I was 14. Um, we, we initially met when I was at youth group and I was just starting to get really involved the summer before my freshman year of high school, actually. Um, I really didn't want to date anybody at youth group because I was kind of worried about how breaking up might affect the group dynamics. I was on leadership and worship team, so I was just really careful about that. Um, but he kind of made it obvious from the get-go that he was interested and he actively pursued me for six months and we became really good friends, eventually best friends during that time period. And so it made sense to date when he asked me just shortly after I turned 15. So we were together all through high school, went to every prom together. He came to all the games that I cheerleaded at. Um, it really seemed like a classic high school romance that you would see on TV. And I was a big romantic. So I always like wanted that relationship. So I felt like I had it. Um, we did everything together. We went to church three days a week. Like I said, we were actively involved in the youth group. Our families took trips together. And it just it felt like how I pictured true love what like really looked like. Um, we had a lot of people involved in our relationship early on, just between our families and our friends. Um, and so I, I've actually been out of the relationship for a little over three years. And there were, it wasn't the most obvious to me at first. Um, there were some subtle signs early on in dating, but things didn't really come to light until after we were married, which I, I kind of found out is a little bit of a theme that seems to happen. Um, I was 18 when we got married and he was 20 and we actually had some conflict with family about a year before we got married because my parents really wanted us to wait. Um, and they, and we thought we knew best because we were 18 and 20 and we wanted to get married as soon as I was out of high school. And this kind of set up the control piece. I believe that he had over me because we kind of shut everybody out who was against us. So we, it was like us against the world and we were going to make it work. Um, and I, I actually remember having thoughts about wanting to cancel our wedding the night before. He was um, sneaking around with his friends and they were smoking outside, which was something we just like didn't do because of our active involvement in church and our upbringing. 
And I was in the meantime, like staying up all night working on wedding preparations and he was not helping me at all. And so I, I just like had the thought that I wasn't really sure I wanted to go through it, but I just felt too obligated between having guests traveling, all the money spent, the hard work, the time, and, um, you know, this whole thing about us proving everyone wrong. And so actually on the wedding day, my family wasn't particularly happy for me. And it really didn't feel like a joyful celebration. Like I feel like maybe weddings are supposed to feel like. It's such a pattern uh, at this point. Like the more that I feel like I hear other people's stories and how, you know, family, it often um, can see right through it um, pretty early on. And I think sometimes a lot of times, like in relationships, like you said in the beginning, like it's us against the world. Like Mm -hmm. you think like people, maybe people don't understand or if they don't approve, but you sort of just push out all the opinions of all the people who care about you because you're so enamored by this person and wanting the relationship to work and wanting to be loved and and wanting a relationship that you Mm -hmm. are willing to overlook the opinions of others, others who, you know, you can trust, or, you know, have your best interest at heart for the sake Mm -hmm. of the person that you're dating. Yeah. And I think you also end up like looking to people that, you know, are going to tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're like, oh, like, well, they're telling me this, so it must be fine. But you end up like seeking counsel from certain people because you know that what they're going to say mm-hmm. instead of like going to the people that, you know, are going to tell you the truth, which isn't always what you want to hear, especially when you have those like relationship goggles on and this perfect is person, like this person is perfect in your mind. And you kind of get like those rosy goggles, I think. Mm, I like that term, like relationship goggles, because <laughs> yeah I definitely had that (laughs) yeah me too me too and you you know you like grow up watching fairy tales and you just want that for yourself and so you kind of bend how you see things to fit that narrative I think I guess like over time he kind of became my only real friend and he wanted to control everything I was doing and at the same time we had a lot of trust issues in the relationship because that lying that happened during the wedding was really a foreshadowing because that just continued. Like the first year of our marriage, I found out he had been smoking marijuana with his friends behind my back. And I had no idea. Like I, I thought he just was hanging out with his friends like going on bike rides. And I was just really focused on school. So I didn't think to question him. I trusted him and what he was doing. And I was studying pre-med. So I was really busy and I had a lot of extracurricular activities, just like trying to make my application just what it needed to be to get into medical school. So I was really focused on that. And um, his life was really going in a different direction than mine, but um, we were living with family. So we had support. And so I didn't like need him to like provide for me in a way that would show me that he was going in a different direction. So I didn't, I think I missed a lot of those signs about like where he was going and kind of spiraling. And I was just like, kind of on my direct path. Mm. And so um, things kind of showed up more when we were on our own, which happened when we moved to a different city for medical school. We moved like five and a half hours away from family. So we were really on our own for the first time. And about six months into living on our own, he started getting really paranoid, which was new. 
and he was like really suspicious of me. Everything that I did, he was, he started accusing me of cheating and it was seemingly out of nowhere. Like I didn't do anything that seemed to like precipitate this. It just started and it was like constant. And he, um, he didn't trust any of the friends that we had in college. Like I had to cut off relationships with guys that were just both of our mutual friends. Like I had to stop being friends with a lot of people. Um, and he was just so sure that I was unfaithful and there was really nothing that was backing that up. Like I didn't do anything that I can see that would kind of warrant him being that way. Like I didn't have friendships. I actually like just cut people out because of his accusations, because I told myself, you know, this friendship isn't more important than my marriage. So I just like cut the people out. Right. Um, and he, it just, it got more and more intense where he would accuse me of cheating like no matter what I did. So if I went to the gym, if I was there longer than 30 minutes, like that for sure meant that I was cheating. And if I liked anything on Instagram, if it was like any guys post at all, it just, it meant that I was with them or I wanted them. And he like made all of these things mean certain things that didn't actually mean that. Um, like if I went to Bible study with like a group of people, if there were any guys there, he would just say that I wanted to be with those guys. And it could be a, a big group of people, but it didn't matter. It was just like, if there were any males around at all, he just like, I was immediately accused of cheating with everybody. And it was just like, at first, like I kind of thought it was humorous because it was so ridiculous, but he would just get angry at me if I would laugh. And so it just became easier to not do anything like, because then I couldn't be accused of anything. Right. And so I, I really felt like, my life at that point was not very functional. Like I just was trying to constantly prove my innocence. Like I would send him like photo after photo of like my text threads or whatever it was on Snapchat or all of the things I would try and like prove I wasn't talking to anybody, but it's, I don't know. It's just, it's very hard to prove that you're innocent. Um, and I felt like I was constantly having to. And so I just stopped doing things. I just would go to school and I would come home and that's like, all. it sounds like, uh, I mean, other projection also, I mean, just isolation in general, uh, isolating you from people and essentially, like you said, your life wasn't functional anymore. Uh, and you're having to sort of like close yourself off from anything that could lead to an argument. And yeah, just, just, I think, I mean, it's always, it's always so wild to me. Like, I feel like every time I hear a story because, uh, I don't know, it's like the patterns and the behavior, uh, they're all so similar and Mm -hmm. it's frustrating to just see like to see the pattern and kind of I don't know that this is just I mean we're just what like 20 minutes in your story and maybe even less than that you know and there's the (laughs) the beginning so it's just ah, it's just frustrating but yeah and and you feel like you're so alone because you don't know that other people are going through this until you hear it you know but um, you just think that you're alone in this and you have to make it work and it's yeah, it's very frustrating. And I don't, he, I found out later that he was talking to other people. I just did not know because he combed through my phone, but I didn't really do that to him because I just trusted him, but he didn't trust me. And so I think he was 
definitely projecting. Um, and that's, some, you know, something you read about and people would say that to me, but I would just like, oh no, he's not like, there's no way, you know, but mm-hmm. he was like the whole time. <laughs> but I didn't know at this point at all. Well, and I think you're also so um, preoccupied with, with having to defend yourself that you're not focused on making sure that he's the trustworthy one because you're too busy trying to prove your innocence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it is really hard because I mean, at least for him, he would just like disagree with anything I said. Like Mm. he would accuse me of locking my phone away in a locker at school and you don't even go to class. You just go on dates all day. And it's just like, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm like, you know, I couldn't really get through school if I was doing that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, for sure. So when did you realize, I know that um, we're obviously walking into your story now, um, and this was sort of where it started, but when did you really realize that something was wrong? Um, I think I knew it was wrong for quite a long time, but there was something just in me that I just refused to give up on the marriage. My parents were divorced, so I told myself my whole life, like, I'm never getting a divorce. My father had multiple affairs, not only on my mom, but also my stepmom. And I told myself I was only going to be with one person my whole life just because of like, watching him. Um, and that being said, I think that I held on to a relationship that was incredibly toxic just because I refused to ever think about not being in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really codependent then for sure. Um, he actually, like in our dating relationship and in our, not so much our dating, when we early on in our marriage, he would just like leave like it happened a couple times and every time it was heartbreaking and I loved him and he would always come back and there would always be like these lies he would tell me and manipulate me to take him back. And he always knew the thing that I wanted to hear. He just was really good at doing that. Um, and there, this just continued. My parents like watched him leave me and they just like, you know, they were just over it. You know, they didn't like seeing me go through that pain and when I would take him back, got to a point where I just like, wasn't comfortable even sharing anything anymore. Cause I knew that they were just done. Like they didn't want to watch anymore. And it was just very isolating. And so I felt like it was just that again, that like, Oh, it's us against them. And like, I'm going to make this marriage work, you know, no matter what. Um, and I kind of just didn't want to give them an actual reason not to like him because I felt like if I shared truth, like the details of things, that they would really have a reason not to like him. And if they didn't know, then they didn't, you know, really have a reason. And so I just kind of like suffered alone. Wow. Um, and it, it just, I got to a point where like he was abusive in all of the ways you can be abusive, like mental, physical, sexual. Like at one point it was just so bad that I just remember praying like, God, if this is marriage, I just don't want it. Mm. Um, And I think that I really didn't even realize how bad it was until after I got out. Like, I feel like I was in a fog throughout the whole thing. Um, And it just felt normal. Like, I just knew that I just didn't like my life. Like, I would make things take a little bit longer at work to not get home early. Um, And so I think it was just a gradual thing for me. And it, it took, like, people from the outside looking in to really realize, like, things were bad. Like, my cousin saw messages that he sent me and she like pointed out like that is not how a husband should speak to a wife and it took someone else like telling me that to be like okay I actually that's pretty true like I shouldn't be spoken to that way yeah yeah 
I so much resonate with your story more so than I think really anyone else's that I've actually listened to thus far. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it really just gets me like when I hear a story of someone who's walking, who's claiming to walk with Christ and be a Mm -hmm. Christian and in it seemingly be so good until all of a sudden it isn't and you're married. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, even just so like, like you had said um, something that you really think it's just you like, and you deal with it in silence because you don't think that other people are going through it or that they will understand. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you protect them and you hide the details of what's actually going on because you know that people already dislike or don't necessarily support the relationship but it's like if you you would you think in those in in the time when you're in an abusive relationship like if only they knew what actually was happening behind closed doors they right like this person you know yeah and like I I, you know you're just like not ready to end things until you're ready and so you don't want like to have to have people know the truth because then they might end things for you yep yep and then I, I just I really feel like um, kind of both of our upbringing and church, like it was all like good intention and stuff, but a lot, I think a lot of the purity culture kind of plays into things too. And, um, just like my own things from my childhood and being so young. And there was just a lot of things that I'm like still unpacking now, like several years out of things that I just think contributed to sticking around for what I would say is too long. You know, like as Christians, we always believe like, God is redemptive and you know like oh it's just like going through a season like he's truly like this person I fell in love with who is like devoted to Christ and you like I used to picture him as that person and I was like well that's the real him like this is just like he's gonna get there again yeah yeah like I've literally said I've literally said that I've I've like thought those exact thoughts yeah yeah and I think it gets you you're like you just I mean, and I think it's, you know, it's good to believe the best in people, but you also have to look at like, what are their actions and like, what is this trajectory, you know? Yeah. And I think you hope that they will be that person that you knew them to be. But like you said, in, in Christianity, like, um, I mean, we right as Christians believe obviously in, in forgiveness and grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think, sometimes it's not talked about enough where that line is between I forgive, I forgive you for like the fact that you hurt me and you acted in an unhealthy manner, but like, but like, where's the line between like, I forgive you. Um, and we wipe this clean versus like, I forgive you, but this behavior is toxic and is impacting me in a really unhealthy way. And I'm going to draw the line instead of boundary here, because this behavior is not appropriate and it needs to be changed. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't recognize necessarily, or don't have the boundaries set up in place. So Mm -hmm. we end up in really toxic abusive relationships because we don't have those boundaries to say like this behavior is not okay while I forgive Mm -hmm. you and there is grace. Um, you know, this, there is this line here now and, you know, until you get counseling or until you work through this, um, and the behavior stops, 
Um, because as Christians, it's like, okay, well, um, I don't know how many times, like, I, I'm curious, like you probably can't even count how many times you probably forgave him and hoped that it was the last time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you always do that. And I think, um, you just like, believe they're not truly that way. Mm. Um, but I think like when you set up a boundary, the hard part is actually like holding up your line, you yeah. know, like you may set a boundary up and they like break it. And if you're not strong enough to be like, no, like this is done. Cause that happened a few times. Like, I feel like he like would push the envelope. Like every time I would set something up, he'd push it and I just like would change it. And I, like over time, a little, a little more to where I was like finding myself compromising, like my beliefs on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And I would like, you know, I would like pray like, Oh Lord, like, let me be more patient with him instead of like, no, this is wrong. Like we know that this is wrong and I'm going to say no, but it was just like, I had the hardest time doing that. And I think it's all connected with also like our self-worth and, and the way that we uh, romanticize and fantasize about love. Um, Mm -hmm. as well, because like when, when you grow up watching a bunch of chick flicks and you romanticize love, like as most, I think females do, I don't know if guys Mm -hmm. are watching chick flicks at home, but like (laughs) you are then power to you, but I'm not (laughs) often that is the case. Um, and you romanticize like love, um, and you, you know, I think when also like self-worth and self-recognizing your value and maybe necessarily isn't rooted um, in Christ or, I mean, over time it gets, you know, broken down by the person who you're dating who's unhealthy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's even, I think that's why the boundaries are often not able to uh, stick because uh, you start to, I mean, if we really truly know who we are in Christ and um, you know, stand in that, like I am a treasure, I'm valued, I'm worthy. It becomes easier to hold and hold a boundary and say, no, you know, this behavior is not okay because I am treasured and I deserve to be treated with love, care and respect. And it's, it's easier to, um, to hold a boundary and not budge from it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I know for me, I was very codependent on him. Like this was a relationship I had for many years. Like I didn't know who I was without him. And so I think part of that played to kind of why I stuck around for so long, which is I just didn't know who I was if I wasn't with him. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really insightful and says a lot about you to be able to like see that aspect and say okay I was codependent and this is an area where like I was struggling because I also am I struggle with codependency as well and so uh just to be able to recognize that though because I don't know how how it was for you how like when did you realize like okay I am I'm codependent on him Um, I think like it took a lot of like therapy um, and definitely after afterwards I read like I don't know if you've heard of love is a choice but that was something that really like spoke to me um, and talked about like interdependence instead of dependence on somebody like being an individual by yourself but like working together with a teammate and like being able to have that and my relationship with him like we were not functional on our own like neither of us like we were both very codependent on each other and um, some like 
you know, elders and like leaders and stuff would tell us about being codependent, but it took like actually learning about it to, for me to be like, yeah, that's like putting words to what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to read that book. I'll probably put it, uh, in the post, the book for those yeah. who want to listen to it or I'll tag it in the podcast. Um, at the it's end. really good. Yeah. yeah. Cause I feel like you do have to know who you are, um, as an individual. And I think if you know who you are in Christ, like you just like understand like what love looks like and that you don't need that kind of love from someone else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree completely. And I think, um, with this topic of like codependency, um, I was talking to my therapist a couple weeks ago about this and she, she was saying, you know, uh, codependency often, like we are trying to find, uh, our needs or we're trying to, to get our needs met, uh, by Mm -hmm. finding love. And what we think we're doing is trying to find love, but what we're actually doing is trying to have our needs be met, but they're not Mm -hmm. going to be met by love. We think that that is the solution and that is going to make everything better, but, uh, our true source of comfort and security is in, is in Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. so the more that we are seeking a relationship to satisfy and fulfill us, to make us feel whole, to, you know, a relationship to uh, ensure that our identity is intact and who we are is loved and valued. Like, uh, but that's not a person's job and people are always going to fail us, but, you know, having that true, like, um, what did you say? Interpersonal, like interdependence. Or, sorry, yeah, interdependence. <laughs> and then we go into a relationship, uh, knowing who we are, being satisfied in Christ, and it doesn't leave a lot of room to, you know, uh, I think I think it would be a lot easier to say, hmm, that behavior is not that's not gonna that's not gonna apply with me and. I'm not going to deal with this. Obviously it doesn't always work like that. I think a lot of people, um, I know a lot of people who are ended up in abusive relationships and, uh, they, you know, were, you know, essentially, you know, trying to do everything right. And we're healthy, yeah. but it does help for sure to, uh, be fully able to, uh, be an independent individual rather than like need somebody to satisfy this longing to be loved. Yeah. And the, and the book, like when it talks about interdependence, it talks, it has like a pillar metaphor where two pillars are stronger standing side by side, supporting their own weight instead of one leaning on another. Hmm. And so I think that's like a really good visual of like interdependence versus dependence. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to read this book. I think it'd be like even a good, a good book to read within Lac Phoenix as well. So, oh yeah, it's, I highly recommend it. It's, it was really um, eye opening for me for sure. And, and that's kind of like my coping mechanism is like reading things and learning. And so, like when I went through my divorce, I like read as much as I could because I felt like I really had to relearn everything that I thought I knew about love and marriage and like what God says about relationships because I my like what I thought was so wrong Hmm. yeah so good okay so go ahead if I would love for you to to share like your 
three experiences that stood out to you the most in your abuse journey? Yeah. Um, so we had a couple of pets together. Um, we got a kitten together a few months before I started medical school. Um, and then one day, like, I think it might've been five months in or something in med school. I came home and I just noticed that the kitten was acting really funny. He just wasn't breathing well. And I asked my husband if he noticed anything weird or if something had happened because he was just acting super weird. And he said nothing happened. And he tried like kind of squeezing him to see if he could breathe better. But that actually like resulted in him crying out in pain. And I just like, I knew something was wrong. And I was like, we need to go to the vet right, right now. And I was freaking out. I just, I could tell that something was off. And on the drive, like he was acting normal. And then all of a sudden he just like admitted that he had stepped on him. And I was just like shocked. I was like, what? You know, and I I was like, how did this happen? Like, what are you talking about? And he told me he was like playing with him and chasing him and he tripped and fell and ended up stepping on him. And at the time, I didn't really realize this, but um, he was telling me he hit it because he was afraid to admit it but I somehow believed this, but looking back, like, I know it was on purpose because if it was truly an accident, like, why did he wait for me to get home to notice it? You know, if you truly accidentally hurt an animal, you would like go to the vet then and there, you wouldn't be pretending something didn't happen. Um, so when we got to the vet, um, they immediately, like, they knew something was wrong. They got x-rays and it showed that he actually had a collapsed lung and they made us go to like the emergency pet hospital. Um, so we rushed over there, which was like across town and they ended up like admitting him to the, the pet ICU. Um, they did like more imaging and lab work and remember the vet like sat us down and told us like we could end up spending thousands of dollars and it still might not be enough to save his life. And he had a really large pneumothorax, which is when uh, ribs are broken and actually punctures the lung. And so air ends up filling the space between the lungs and the chest wall and that like causes like the heart to not be able to pump and can lead to death. And so, um, they treated that emergently, but they also like, and I didn't, I don't think I realized this then, but I was looking back and he had like new and old rib fractures, which anytime you have multiple healing stages of fractures is like a sign of abuse. Like it's what we learn in humans. Um, and he also had internal bleeding and kidney injury. So he was in the ICU. And I remember like at the point, I didn't even know if they were going to be able to save him. I was just like, we were, I was sobbing in the lobby and he was sobbing too. And it was just like awful to feel like, um, I didn't even recognize at that point that my husband purposely hurt our our animal. Um, and I just like, I wish I had been a better advocate for him. Like I didn't even think like, let myself believe that maybe he was lying about it being an accident. Um, but thankfully he recovered. Okay. I mean, he was a kitten. So like young things tend to be pretty resilient, thankfully. And he like recovered with just them needing to take the air out of his chest, but it was like a ridiculously large amount of air. So I don't even know like when the injury happened, but I think it had probably happened a while before I got home, but I'm so thankful that he recovered, but he ended up having another injury about six months after that, where he broke his hip and he had like a blood collection in his ear and he was like a playful kitten. So he'd run around. And my ex told me he would like run and like hit the wall, which is just kind of a really ridiculous story anyways. But, um, I, I think he probably hurt him again. Like it just doesn't make sense otherwise. And so he had to have surgery and have part of his hip removed and they had to drain the blood and 
he convinced me that both of these things were just like freak accidents. And I'm still like sad that I didn't like recognize this because there were things like before the injuries happened where my cat would like have accidents around him, like, which would kind of tell you that he's afraid of him. Um, so I don't know like what happened when I wasn't around, but I saw this again. Um, when we have, we got a dog like a couple of years later and I would watch him discipline her and it would just like be too much. Like it would be way too rough or too long. And I would get upset. Cause like, I'm not, you know, I'm like learning how to heal people. I'm not going to come home and like watch my husband abuse our animals, you know? So I would get upset. And then he would say things like, Oh, if you think this is bad, just, just wait and see what I'll do to you. Really? And so I just like, it was hard because I wanted to like stick up for my pet, but I was like, well, I don't know what that means. Like, I'm not going to, you know, get in the way of things. If like, that's going to be me, you know, like if I'm going to have to pick something, I'm going to choose to not like get myself and hurt. Um, but thankfully, like she never had any serious injuries, but I just think like, it's such a huge sign if someone like is willing to hurt an animal, like that is a huge red flag. Well, it's also like, uh, uh, psychopaths or sociopaths this is a tall tale trait of a sociopath I don't know if you know that oh wow yeah and I only know that because my ex uh he's like clinically like a psychopath and he would share sometimes I remember in our marriage uh sharing he he talked like one time about about like uh I don't know like what he was harming like a a cat or like a bird with a BB gun and he said it so nonchalantly and I was like why would you like why would you do that you know and he just was like oh you know it was just like out of enjoyment growing up like that's literally insane and at the time you know I was you know same as you I'm like well you know I was still figuring it out and putting the pieces together but yeah it is a it is like a a telltale sign of somebody who is like a sociopath and you obviously not all the time but like that's not normal behavior like no obviously you don't want to believe that your person that you love could do that like you just will believe whatever lie they say like I didn't want to believe that he could intentionally do that like there's no way that at that point I could handle thinking that Mm. yeah yeah you were still I mean putting the pieces together really Yeah. And I just like, you know, you kind of get that trauma mindset of like just reacting to whatever is going on. So I was just like, I need to do whatever I can to get my cat. Okay. You know, like you just, you don't think about necessarily like the steps that lead to it. You just like, like, let's do everything we can, like throw the book at it, like do whatever we can. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so he, um, there would be like other things too. And I think, um, this was like one moment that really stuck out in my mind. He was mostly like really verbally abusive and emotionally abusive, but he started getting more and more physical. And there was one night we went to bed and out of nowhere, he asked who I had in the car and he was like very cryptic about it. Like I knew he had some reason that he thought this, but I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about. Like I never had anybody in the car and um, he kept repeating the question and asking if it was a guy. And I, I didn't like ask him why he thought that. And he said that the umbrella had like moved positions in the car. And so that he knew that meant someone was in there. And I had, I was really like 
confused. I didn't know what he was talking about. Like moving the umbrella was such an insignificant thing in my mind that I didn't like store it in my memories of why I did it. It's just like one of those things, like it was like putting something somewhere, just like moved it. Um, And so I'm sure there was a reason I moved it, but I didn't like commit that to memory at all. And so all of a sudden he just started strangling me. And, um, I just remember like being in that moment, it seemed like time kind of like slowed down. And I just remember thinking like, this might be the way I die. And he was a lot stronger than me. I like, I couldn't get him off. And he just like had his hands on my throat and I couldn't breathe. I don't really know how long it was. I never lost consciousness or anything, but it was like one of the scariest moments of my life. Like I just felt so helpless and I, just remember feeling frustrated. Like I can't like be done right now. Like this can't be how it ends. Um, and I, and I struggled, you know, I tried to get him off, but there was just like no way I could change that situation. And he finally let go. Um, and I just like rolled over and I just like curled up in a ball and I just like never wanted to be touched by him again. Like it was just awful. And he like tried to apologize and all of that in the moment. But I just remember like, thinking how could someone that like says that they love me do that like why you know I just it was just so hurtful and actually his mom was visiting us and she was in the other room and I don't think she heard anything but I ended up like opening up to her about what happened and she and what she told me was if you ever let him do this to you again I'm never going to talk to you again and it, (laughs) it was just like I just felt so confused I was just like like how is that like, you're not even addressing, like, this thing that happened was wrong, and, like, how did I control this happening to me, and it was just so backwards, and I feel like um, I was just confused, like, I didn't know what to believe, like, if it was somehow my fault, and it just, like, was seemingly out of nowhere, like, it was just the craziest thing, and um, I ended up, like, I had a therapist that I was seeing, because we had a lot of family issues, like I had mentioned, like, my parents and I were a little bit estranged during this time. And um, I was trying to kind of keep all relationships together, but it was hard because reasons. And I ended up telling her that he strangled me and she like flipped and she got like super worried. And she gave me this phone number to this um, company called the safety. And she told me to keep it somewhere safe and call them and make a safety plan. And I was, I was just like so offended. (laughs) I was like, that she would even think to suggest that because in my mind, I was like, I didn't feel like a victim of domestic violence. I just was like, oh, this was like a one-off, like this will never happen again. And um, I was, I couldn't believe that she was suggesting that, you know? And so um, he ended up doing it again, of course, Mm -hmm. but thankfully it wasn't like leading to severe injury or anything. And I remember like my therapist told me that um, men who strangle are much more likely to commit murder. And it's like one of the red flags of severe domestic violence. Um, And I just make it up excuses in my mind about like why happened and like, oh, I must have, you know, I must have done something to make him mad. Like it's my fault. Um, And I, I didn't tell any, like, I didn't tell my parents about it um, other than his mom who kind of like you know, didn't really react the way I would have thought. Um, I didn't tell anyone else. And I ended up telling one of my close girlfriends and she, she told me, she was like, even if you did cheat, that's still not okay for him to touch you like that. And I remember like both her and my therapist, like asked me like, why was I with him? Like, what did I get out of that relationship? And really the only thing I could ever say was I just like, it was all I knew and we'd been together so long. And like, what would I do if I, like, I wasn't with him? And 
Mm. Um, I just like, but I honestly couldn't think of any positive things that he was bringing to my life at that point. Mm. I wanted to backtrack for a second, just Mm -hmm. on the topic of strangulation. Um, I had read an article because uh, of how common like strangulation is. I didn't, I didn't experience this. It sounds absolutely horrifying uh, to be strangled, like, and to not be able to breathe. And I know that it's a form of like power and control mm-hmm. for the abuser because they, in the moment that they're strangling you, obviously have control over your breathing and they decide when you breathe again. And, mm-hmm. uh, like I had read in an article that like, uh, like 43% of women who, ended up being murdered in like domestic assaults, which is what you were just talking about before. Um, like 45% of the victims um, of attempted murder had been strangled previously by their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like within a time frame of like a year. And so mm-hmm. your chances of being murdered after having been strangled uh, increased like absolutely significantly. And so the fact that he strangled you once, twice, and now you're out of that, like, I mean, the statistics of you ending up having, you know, ending up to having your life taken were extremely high. Yeah, no, I, I remember like reading, um, like an article about it and it like opened my eyes. Like he would say things like, if I can't have you, no one can. And he just like all of these red flag things. Um, and I am really convinced I would not be here if I didn't get out when I did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it got more frequent and like over time things just like escalated. Mm. Yeah. And the equivalent, like you're like, even if you had, like you were saying, cheated um, or had been unfaithful those two things do not add up. Like the behavior does not match the action and it's never okay. Um, Physical violence. I mean, emotional abuse, like psychological abuse, like it doesn't matter. Like either way, it is not, it it is not, uh, there's no way of justifying those actions. Um, And so- Mm -hmm. I'm just like, just talking to you, just like overwhelmed with like, I think gratefulness and thankfulness that you're just safe and not in that because yeah, you're right. Like if you hadn't have gotten out, like the chances of you not being here today are really high, you know, the odds were against you for sure. Yeah. He ended up, um, buying a gun actually. And I told him before he got it, like, I didn't feel safe with him getting one and he used my credit card to do it. And I just remember like, when he got it, I just like immediately felt even more unsafe. And I ended up taking it um, when I left because part of like the restraining order and everything, like I was able, like he wasn't allowed to have firearms. Mm. Um, And so like I took it and he wouldn't be able to get another one, but it just like knowing that like he just would flip like out of nowhere. So I I don't put it past him that he could have just gotten angry and shot me at some point. Like I really don't put it past him. Yeah. Well, especially because they're, is like a mental, I mean, he sounds, I I really truly, I don't, he, he, was he ever evaluated by a psychiatrist? 
So, um, in one of like the things I'm going to speak about, we, I drove him to a psychiatric hospital and he was, um, he was at at some point, like actually kind of willing to be evaluated. He knew something was wrong, Mm -hmm. but as soon as like, they told them that he would have to like be checked in, he just like refused. And so he refused to get help. And I, you know, I did psychiatry rotations. Like I was seeing the stuff like coming to life. Like I felt like I was on the psych ward like often, like he would just shut himself in the garage and watch like YouTube conspiracy videos, like all day long, like wouldn't eat. Like it was, Caitlin, that is crazy. That is like literally my ex. Like (laughs) so crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm like, this is your story. This is like about you, but I (laughs) afterwards, because I'm like, I'm like, just it's so wild to me because it's it's like truly I really do genuinely think that he was a sociopath and I that's why I'm that's no wonder like that I was reading your outline beforehand and I was like man this story is so similar to mine like Mm -hmm. I think I really do think like uh yeah that behavior of a sociopath um it's just textbook it's textbook um psychopath behavior and yeah. it's, it's wild. Um, anyways, let's get into your next. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And like at the same time, like um, this is like a little bit of an aside, but he yeah. had a really strong family history of like schizophrenia and like had an uncle that committed suicide because of that. And he started using marijuana and I'm sure other things and all of those things like together are like really strong risk factors. And mm-hmm. in your late twenties is like when you develop these things. And so I am like, I know he has something and I, I imagine treatment would actually be really good for him, but you have to be willing to be treated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is hard because when they're, when they are mentally unstable and I know you've, I'm, I'm assuming you've experienced this, like when they are stable, they're pretty normal, but yeah, when they're not all hell breaks loose and you are like, I literally don't know when this episode is going to end. Yeah. And, and it's scary. And like you, you care and you want to get them help. But like at some point you have to be like, you have to value yourself more. Mm. You know, you have to be like, I'm not going to like live in a psych ward at home. I'm just not. Yeah. And then you add Christ to the mix and, and, and faith and uh, covenant. And then, oh my gosh, you're just, you're just confused. So. It's a bad setup. Yeah. A bad <laughs> setup. To all of those. <laughs> oh my Okay. So I would love for you to jump into the next example. Yeah. Um, and so I really wanted to touch on this because I feel like, especially as a Christian like this, I think is pretty prominent more so than people talk about. Um, but he would use sex as a, um, an area to kind of show his dominance and control. And he would often use the Bible out of context to condone what like now I would refer to as marital rape. Like he was the only man I had ever been with in that way. So I really didn't realize how unhealthy it was. Like I thought it was my duty, like as a wife to make sure he was satisfied. Um, even if it wasn't something like I was getting any enjoyment from, um, he used to like take scripture out of context to justify what he was doing. Like he would tell me that because he lets me go to work and school, like the least I could do is give him my body. And I just, I learned over time, it was just easier to let him use me than to fight back. Like to say no meant that I would be berated and it would just make him angry. And um, I always had a really hard time going to sleep if we were fighting or if he was angry. So I just like would avoid it. Like I would do whatever to keep the peace. 
Um, and I, I, you know, I never really felt loved when we were intimate and I just like felt like I was just there for his pleasure. Mm. Like there'd be times that I would even cry and he would just get more upset because it would just like ruin the mood for him. And there were some times that he did cause like physical trauma um, from forcing it on me, but it was never like serious enough for me to be like, Oh, I need to like go to the hospital. And I think my threshold of going to the hospital is probably like way higher just because like, it's my life. So I know like what's bad and what's not. And so I never felt like anything was that bad. Mm. Um, but there was like, it was painful and there was like evidence of trauma. Um, but like, that's from, aside from all the emotional feeling of being used by someone who's supposed to love you. And there's like zero consideration for your feelings or like what you're going through. And I even got to this point where, I actually thought I needed like sex therapy because I hated it that much. And I thought like I was broken, like something's wrong with me. Cause I just like, don't have any desire for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really just because of how he was that it just like was not enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just feel like, you know, it, it should always be consent. Even if you're married, you know, like your husband should love you and understand like, this is not something he's owed, like, even if you're married. And I think that's something I didn't know. You know, I just kind of thought like, oh, this is what you do. You're married. You know, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Just like being a Christian and kind of some of those like things that kind of overlie that whole thing. Yeah. Um, First off, I just want to say that I'm sorry. Like, I don't know on behalf of him. I just, I, it really makes me it just sucks. Like I, and those aren't even like, there's probably much classier words to say than that, but it, (laughs) (laughs) it it's real though. I appreciate being real. (laughs) Yeah. It really does just like suck. And it's like, it's not okay. It's not right. And like, you're, you know, you're so valuable. And so it's like frustrating for me, just like hearing that. And I think also because there is the Christian aspect as well, adding into it, I can again, resonate with, you know, just the way that the Bible is misused and um, scripture is misused. And it isn't something that is talked about often because sex is such a taboo topic that like, we don't talk about it and it makes people uncomfortable and squirmish. And so people don't either know their view on it or they don't want to say their opinion on it or whatever it is. And so we don't talk about it and then it's misused in, in marriage and, Mm -hmm. and time and time, like, what is this? We're on like the seventh episode and nearly every time each, each, each woman has talked about marital rape. And when you're in it, you don't think that other people are experiencing it until you come out and you talk about it, which goes against the norm, right? To be vulnerable and open with your trauma. And then you all of a sudden realize, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. All these people have experienced it too. Yeah. And there's just so much shame with all of it. And it's like so pervasive and it's like, you know, the shame you feel about something that was done to you, you know, Mm -hmm. I think often keeps us from speaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a sensitive topic as well. Um, but it sounds like you didn't experience like truly what it is to like make love with somebody, but it was really just like sex, you know? 
forced yeah right you just you just feel like an object you know and it's easier to just get it over with and get them to be satisfied because like the opposite is worse yeah but that's not how it's like supposed to be that's not how god designed it at all it's not i mean the entire year thus far the entire marriage was not the way that god designed marriage to be i don't really you didn't really experience marriage no my mom says that all the time actually it's kind of funny that you're saying it (laughs) yeah well it's because it's true i mean this is not marriage no and it's just like you know it's i think it's hard for me because like there's so many times that I like wish I could just go back and just like hug my 18 year old self and be like, you do not like, this is not it. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever thought about like writing a letter to yourself? I, I wrote a piece called dear, I think it was called dear me. And I posted it on my Instagram around the time when I first came out about my abusive relationship and it was incredibly healing. And I recommend Mm -hmm. it for, um, like other women who I talk to writing a piece to yourself, but your younger self. And what would you say to yourself now? Um, because in a way it's like you having the opportunity to protect yourself, even though maybe mm. protect yourself in a season of your life. Yeah. I like that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Maybe I would. Yeah. Maybe try it. I think it's, yeah, it's, a, it's really healing and it's really, uh, I feel like writing is such a healthy way to be able to really express like what you went through and sort of do that inner work and that mm-hmm. inner healing. I feel like no matter how long you're out, there's just always something to work on. <laughs> oh yeah. And it, and like grief is not linear. It is like all over the place. Like some days it's life is great. Other days it's like, oh my gosh, why am I still feeling this way? Yeah like years out it's still a process Hmm. yeah it's so true um you said here in your outline I'd love for you to read that like last line uh what you prayed to God regarding the marital rape and just that your experience with intimacy with your ex Yeah. Um, I remember like, I just so distinctly had this thought and I still like remember where I was standing in the house. Like when I thought this, I was just like, God, if this is sex, like if this is marriage, I just, I do not want it. Hmm. Like, and I, I think part of me knew that this was not it, you know, for me to think that, like, I couldn't believe that this is what God had for me. Hmm. Yeah. It definitely, like it didn't, I mean, it, it didn't match or align with the father's heart for you and the good, you know, good plan that he had for you and for you to be loved and valued. This was, this was not the father's heart for you. That's not the father's heart for marriage. Mm -mm. And I know that now I've tried to like relearn, like I said, everything about it, but Mm. when you're in it, you just don't even realize, you know, that this is not the right thing. You just like know that you don't like it, you know? Did you ever think like, do other people hate marriage? Yeah, like, I think that it's just that isolation that really played into it because we had like a church group that we would go to and I um, really tried, you know, to get us like, we went to therapists, we went to like, I tried all of the things and 
over time, he just like, didn't want to go to the group. And so I would have to make excuses why he wasn't there. Like, Oh, he's sick again. And like, over time I stopped going too. Cause it was like, you know, a little embarrassing, like, where's your husband? You know, but I think like not having community, like I didn't see enough of like, this is not how marriage is. And I didn't open up at all about what was going on. Right. You had nothing to really compare it to. Mm-mm. I mean, like my mom and stepdad's relationship is really wonderful. And so I have that. So I don't really know why I didn't like look to them or, you know, think to myself that like their marriage doesn't look like this. But I think a lot of it comes back to that self-worth thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I deserve being treated this way because of fill in the blank, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was, I think was my whole thing. And I had a lot of self-esteem issues like from early on, which is something I realized in therapy, like related to my biological father whose love was very transactional. And so that's kind of like what I brought into my marriage. Wow. Wow. That's, that's big. Like it's a really, that's a really big factor and really amazing that you were able to like recognize and realize that played a part because of that. I mean, it, that's, I mean, it really does sound very transactional, this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that like cycle of abuse, right. Where they, do something and then they make up for it and you just like get that trauma bond and so it was like all of those things you know that kind of led me to sticking around yeah yeah I'm so sorry I'm so overwhelmed by your story like I I don't know I feel like I'm talking to like myself or something it's like (laughs) like the weirdest sentence to say but like I just uh yeah I didn't expect to like relate so much with you um, in this, in this way. So it's just crazy. It's like looking in a mirror or something. Well, it's nice to know we're not alone. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the point of this is like sharing your story and helping other people resonate. But I think I'm so used to like, okay, everyone like listeners can resonate, but I'm not realizing like, oh, I can also resonate like, (laughs) you know, but it's very healing for me to just Talk mm-hmm. your story I, because I do re- really resonate so yeah awesome hey guys um I'm actually going to stop the episode here uh, for this week uh, Caitlin and I actually recorded for uh, a couple of hours and I've decided to create a part two so next Thursday we will just continue on with the rest of Caitlin's story uh I didn't want to cut anything out because I really feel very strongly that uh, this story and all of the content is going to help others. Um, it's already so much greatly impacted myself. And so thank you for listening this far. Um, we will see you next week for uh, part two of Caitlin's Don't Touch My Cat. Thanks, guys.